Today we continue our series that we started last week called The Best Christmas Ever. Now we're going to leave it up to you how you put an exclamation point or perhaps a question mark at the end of that statement. And from the feedback we received this week, it is fair to say there is a variety of responses to which we're going to choose at this point through our series. And you know what? If you're at a question mark stage uh, or if that exclamation point means something different to you than perhaps the excited response would be, that's okay. That's okay. We're, we're glad that you're joining us on this journey towards Christmas Eve and towards Christmas Day. Each week we're going to be adding and, and a bit of a different focus upon a gift that God has given to us that, can be never, that never can be taken away from us. And that's part of the reason that there's still, even in the year 2020, the opportunity to declare that this could be, perhaps maybe for some people, uh, the best Christmas ever. Because the reality is, is that, is that Christmas is a time when we celebrate Emmanuel, which means God with us and the gifts that he brings. And last week we talked about the gift of hope. And hope can descend upon those people who feel like they are walking through shadows. Those who are walking in the land of darkness, it says, a light has dawned upon those people. And that light is the hope of glory, who is Jesus Christ. And so there's reason to have hope this Christmas season. Today we're going to talk about the theme of peace. And this idea of peace is commonly understood in our world as, as, as being calm, being in harmony. Commonly, if I asked you to write down a definition of peace, a lot of people would write down something similar, or maybe the exact words of, of a lack of conflict would be how peace is often defined. And it, that fits Christmas, doesn't it? Our, our ideal understanding of Christmas, it's kind of hand in glove with Christmas. It's present in our Christmas songs. For example, Silent Night, where it talks about how Mary and baby Jesus, they, they sleep in heavenly peace. It, it's present in many of our traditions. Uh, a lot of us have the image of a beautifully decorated living room or a family room, and there's soft background music playing, and there's a fire going in the fireplace, or if you're a little more modern, on the fire TV channel that a lot of us have. Sipping some eggnog, relaxing with visitors who come over to, to share in the time. It's this peaceful, enjoyable time. Traditions. But what about the tradition, the, the Christmas, the, the peaceful Christmas tradition of decorating the Christmas tree? Is that a peaceful time for you? Uh, perhaps you have visions of decorating the Christmas tree like this one, where you and, and your spouse and your kids have matching pajamas, and you're all gathered around and cooperating, and it just feels warm and, and comfortable. Is this, is this what it looks like to decorate a Christmas tree? <laughs> Or maybe, maybe your experience is a bit different. Maybe your experience is more in line with some tweets that I came across this week about that very topic. Uh, one in particular that said, putting up a Christmas tree today because life with a toddler couldn't be any more dangerous, messy, or terrifying enough. <laughs> People who have young ones know what that's like. It's a process of, of don't drop that, don't break that, be careful, don't, no, don't run into that, you're going to tip the tree over. And then the little ones, they decorate just beautifully that bottom two foot by two foot corner. And then when they go to bed, it magically gets fixed while they're sleeping because mom and dad have to rearrange everything. Or perhaps it's more like this for you. If you don't have to threaten your kids to help you decorate the Christmas tree, you don't really have teenagers in that case. 
<laughs> For some of these, maybe if they had an online version of decorating the tree, we'd have more success with the young people. Another one. Uh, a strand of lights on my Christmas tree went out this morning, and my kids learned five new words. <laughs> I think there were kids... Help me with this. I think that was probably the five words that they, that they learned that day. And then finally, my husband and I keep tradition alive during the holidays by having our annual Christmas tree argument. And yes, it is important to have traditions. Christmas is to be a time of peace, but all too often it seems like conflict just, just works its way into the mix, doesn't it? Even around things like decorating a tree. Now, for some families, conflict is their tradition, because none of us are actually fully immune from this, regardless of what family or background we come from. You know, even Jesus experienced this. If you think about it, if you think about the whole story of Jesus' birth, he was born into a state of conflict, conflict between people and, and the ruling powers. The story of the birth of Jesus, the story of the life of Jesus, for that matter. We, we read about how he was born into a time when Israel was under Roman rule. There's conflict between nations and powers and peoples. We read about how Mary and Joseph are, are found to be with child. And it's, it's not in the story explicitly, but we can know from the culture that if, if they were unmarried without a child, they would have been shunned by many, many people in the community. Perhaps that's part of the reason they could not find a place to stay in Jerusalem, which was Joseph's hometown where he had family, where he had friends, and yet could find no place to live. Perhaps they were being shunned. We read about this as a time when Herod heard about Jesus being born and decided that they had to kill all the boys under the age of two. Jesus was born into a time of conflict. And throughout his entire ministry, we read about conflict between him and religious leaders as they wrestle and debate. We hear about people who would come to follow him and they're all on board, they're all on side until there's a teaching that's a little too tough. When he asks them to follow a little too far, and then they're like, I'm out. Conflict between people. That conflict all the way up to the point where he gave his life upon the cross and he essentially died alone. Now if Jesus, who lived a perfect life and therefore had the best opportunity of anybody to live a life free of conflict and yet still experience challenges and trials in his life, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we experience it as well? And especially at Christmas, because conflict and trials and struggles is no respecter of the calendar. Just because it's December 25th doesn't mean that conflict takes a day off. The truth of the matter is that all of us will experience conflict from time to time. And Jesus confirmed this for us. You see, in his final hours, when he was gathered with his disciples in the upper room and he's telling them, all of the terrible things that are about to happen to him and, and, and to them. In John 16, he says, I have told you these things for a purpose. Why? So that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, peace is often defined within the world around us by the absence of strife by the absence of conflict. But that doesn't match what Jesus is saying here in this particular verse. That's contrary to what he's actually saying. He's saying you will have conflict, but you can also have peace. So how is it in the teaching and the example of Jesus that peace and conflict can coexist? 
Well, I think in order for us to properly understand that, we need to begin with a biblical definition of what peace actually is. Now, the word peace is throughout the Bible, and and the most common word for peace you may be familiar with is from the Old Testament, the word shalom. Now, the word shalom, peace, means to be complete, to live well, and to be at peace. And this is referred to and applied in a couple of different ways. There's one way it's used where it refers to the wholeness of life, where where if you wish somebody shalom as a greeting, you could be speaking of that they would have good health, that they would have prosperity, success, and fulfillment in life. That's, That's why sometimes it's used as a greeting. But shalom also has a different understanding. It can mean peace as in victory over an enemy, as the absence of war. That's more in line with our common understanding of this word peace, the the absence of war and strife and turmoil. But there's another way that it's used. It's related to that. But, But more specifically, it's about peace between two parties. About peace, right relationship that can exist between two parties, whether that be nation to nation in the absence of conflict and war, or between person to person as they decorate the tree peacefully, or peace between a person and God. And this last aspect is the enduring one that leads to the definition of peace we find in the New Testament. Where this idea of peace in the New Testament is about a tranquil state of the soul that is assured of its salvation in Christ. Peace between God and man. And so therefore fearing nothing from God, and because we fear nothing from God and have peace within our inner soul, we are also therefore content in our earthly lot, whatever that may be. See, the promise is that you will have trouble in this world. You will experience calm. It's it's not a popular promise, but it is a promise is that you will have conflict in this world. But the promise that Jesus gives is that also in him, in Christ, you may have peace. That still in the midst of the ongoing turmoil, however that may be defined in your life, peace still exists. As your hand is placed in the hand of Jesus. As you place your trust in him as you choose to follow him to the best of your ability with all your strength. And regardless of what happens around you, you rely upon him. Whenever I think about that sort of scenario, it reminds me of the very first time that Nadine and I went on a trip to Cancun. And now we hadn't gone to a place like that before. And it was one of the first opportunities that we had for us both to go snorkeling. And something you need to know about us is that I love the water. Nadine does not love the water. And yet we both signed up and went snorkeling. And I assured her it will be fine because we see the brochures and you're snorkeling on, on just pristine, crystal clear, perfectly calm waters. And so we walked down to the harbor to get on the catamaran to take us out to the snorkeling area. And it's a windy day. And as we look out, the waves are six, seven feet high. I assured her it'll be fine. So we get on the catamaran, and as we head out into the ocean, the waves pick up a little bit. And I mean waves and wind to the point where, where, where the catamaran is dipping, and waves are coming up and washing people's backpacks off into the ocean. And we get a little further. I assure her, no, 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 this is the middle of the ocean. When we get to the place we're snorkeling, they'll find like a little cove or something, and it'll be perfectly clear and flat. And just as I said that, the, the captain goes, we're here, as the boat is doing this. 
Now, I knew that even in a tranquil setting, Nadine would be a little nervous to go snorkeling, so I simply said to her, you don't have to go. However, I was the second person in the water (laughs) as I put on my gear and jumped in because I loved the water, and, well, I had never done this before. To my surprise, about 30 seconds later, there comes Nadine, her gear on, (laughs) swimming towards me, and in the 25 years we've been married, I have never seen a look of terror on her face like I saw that day as we were in the water floating. (laughs) And she said through her snorkel, I'm doing this for you, (laughs) as we're out there. But here's where I tell you this. The waves were still thrashing. The wind was still blowing. I was a little surprised they let us go out and do this. But I took her hand. I showed her how to lay flat on the water and put her face in the water and just look down at the beautiful tropical fish, at the beautiful reef that was below us, at all the beauty that exists. And it was amazing that when you were flat on the water, holding hands, with your ears in the water so that the sound was turned off. All that you could see was the beautiful fish in the reef below us and had the hand of a loved one. All of a sudden, the waves stopped. The wind stopped. And it was peaceful. When we lifted our head to take a breath, it was still there. It was still tumultuous all around us. But the minute we laid down and put our head back in the water, peace came back again. And as long as she was holding my hand and doing that, it was fine. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that I am any Christ figure. I can tell you I have swallowed my fair share of salt water. But what I'm trying to say to you is that the example of peace available to us when we live in Christ is like that. When our hand is in his hand. When we trust in him more than trusting in the waves that are around us. But if we're going to do that, it requires a degree of surrender. Surrender on our part, which is challenging for the world because the world often tries to seek peace through power. That's commonly the way the world goes about it. And it's revealed in a variety of scenarios in the world around us, but in each of them, it's it's this attempt to achieve peace by exerting power over a person, a situation, whatever it may be. A couple of quick examples for you. Any parents that have ever been sitting downstairs, relaxing, reading a book, just taking a break from the kids for a minute, who are thankfully playing quietly in the bedroom, but then suddenly, and without any surprise, an argument breaks out. Well, you have a choice in that moment. We can either get up, put down our book, and and take our glasses off, and then walk down to the room and open the door and and inquire as to what the problem may be, and, and then try to mediate peace between the two siblings. Or you can stay in your chair and go, don't make me come in there. I think we know which one of us choose. But what is that? It's trying to demonstrate power of mom, Power over the situation, power over the children. And it works because with that one powerful voice of mom, conflict is replaced with silence and stillness. Probably a bit of fear, but peace. Peace returns in the moment. But that's how society is organized, isn't it? If you go to school and you get into trouble, you go to the principal's office. You climb the hierarchy of power. If you're at work and you... you, you don't perform well, you don't show up, you, you do something unethical, you'll get written up and maybe even dismissed by your boss. It's, it's an example of power over. 
We see this on a global scale where one nation commits atrocities against another. Well, there's a group of nations that will get together to bring political sanctions, political power over another nation. If that doesn't work, they come in with military power. That's how society, it's how the world tends to seek peace through power over. It's an attempt to establish peace. And it was no different in the time of Jesus. Remember, Jesus was born and lived in a nation of Israel that was under the power of Rome. And so the nation of Israel expected a Messiah who would come with political, military power. They expected that their king, who they believed to be Jesus, would walk through the gates of Jerusalem, climb the steps of the temple, and rally the people and lead them in a revolt against Rome with a sword. And he would then set up his government. And they would be in power, and there would be peace. But when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, when people lined the streets to welcome him by by cheering and putting down their palms and putting down their cloaks for him to walk in, because their king had entered the city to cheers of his subjects, ready to be led into battle, it's curious that nobody seems to notice that he's riding on a donkey. Not that there's a problem with donkeys. But it had meaning in that culture. You see, when a king rode into a town on a horse, that was a symbol that he was going to war. That was a symbol that he had come to conquer. But in that culture, when a king rode into a city on a donkey, it was understood by all for centuries that he came in peace. You see, it was a symbol of peace, but nobody seemed to notice that. But Jesus is a king. He was establishing his kingdom. He was setting up his government, but not in the way that people expected in the world. Not in the world's way by power, but as we read about in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, where it says, to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government, the the kingdom, will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government, the greatness of his kingdom, and its peace, there will be no end. See, not only did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on the symbol of peace, he also entered the world in peace as a baby. Babies have no power. Well, they have one power. They have the power to captivate our hearts. But that's about the extent of the power that a baby has. Babies are vulnerable. They're humble. They're powerless. And yet this peaceful, powerless, humble, vulnerable baby who was born and laid in a manger was sought out by kings by royalty who came to lay gifts at his feet. He was sought out by lowly shepherds who came to kneel and worship before him, this lowly, powerless baby whose birth was proclaimed by angels who said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill toward all men. Peace, that tranquil state of the soul, assured by the presence of Jesus even in the midst of conflict, because it finds contentment in what can never be taken away. It finds contentment in Christ. You see, he's not called the Prince of Peace because he brought peace by force. 
Rather, he's called the Prince of Peace because he stepped into a broken, conflicted world and offered his life as a gift for eternal peace. Peace between all people and God. He gave his life so that we could know Emmanuel, which means God with us in this life and in the life to come. See, folks, we're promised one thing, and it's not a promise of freedom from trials. We're not promised a perfect, easy life. What we're promised is that God will go with us in the midst of our trials. And according to Scripture, that's enough. That is enough for us to know peace. Because where power and force make sense to the world, Jesus reveals peace through vulnerability. See, it's not power over people. It's not power over situations that will bring us lasting eternal peace. Rather, it is power under. Power under the authority of Christ. Now, this is a mystery to the world around us. People who do not know Christ, who are not, who are not investigating the truths and the realities of the difference that Jesus makes in their lives, who, who are not seeking new life in Christ, it, it, it's a mystery to them. It doesn't make sense. But as Paul points out in the book of Philippians, it's the very reason why we can say God is enough for me to have peace. To rebuild this in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not naturally an anxious person. Now, I still have my fair share of trials and struggles, but, uh, but people who know me know that when I, when I come up against a challenge, my, my immediate response is not anxiety and worry, but it's to plan. I'll formulate a plan, probably two or three plans, A, B, and C, just to have all my bases covered. And this is considered to be a good thing. It's, I'm not suggesting it's a bad thing. It's appropriate for leaders, especially in times of crisis. We want them to have a plan to to be able to lead us through that. But here's the problem, is when it doesn't work, when plan A, plan B, and plan C doesn't work, which happens, then the unsettling feeling, the the dissonance within starts to happen, this lack of peace starts to build up within me and people who are built in similar fashion to me. And that's where I need to be cautious. Because even in the midst of that, when A, B, and C don't work and I have to formulate another plan, I can get stuck in the concept of my plan. I can get stuck in the concept of my ability to to get through this. But what is that? That's just another form of power. A form of power over a situation. I will find a way to get us over this. And it may even lead me to prayer. But in those moments, again, another caution. If you ever find yourself in a situation like that, your prayers may be some form of asking God to bless my plan. Which is just a shift of power. It's a shift from me having power over the situation to trying to have power over God so that he can have power over my plan, which he'll have power over the situation. It's still power. Anybody else like me? Or am I the only one? I know there's others of us out there. Who, who think and plan and pray like this. And, and that's the solution to trials and challenges around us is, is our plans, our power, our way will get us over the hill. 
Oh, but when we bring our prayers and petitions to the Lord with thanksgiving, we do so with a different heart. We do so with a heart condition of coming under his power. Not over it. Coming under his power. Thankful not for the conflict. Thankful not for our ability to be intelligent and to strategize. Not thankful for our plan, but thankful that for those who are sons and daughters of the living God, he welcomes us into his heavenly courts. He looks at us with a knowing, caring eye. He listens to us and lends his ear, for he knows us, for he is with us, and invites us to bring our requests, to bring our petitions, to bring our challenges, our frustrations, our hurts, and our fears, to bring them before him. See, this type of prayer, this type of a humble heart, that's the opposite. That's the opposing force to anxiety. It's like they're two magnets that are, that are repelling each other. They will not come together when they come close to each other. Anxiety is pushed back from this type of prayer, from, from this type of heart that humbly seeks to come under the power and the authority of God. And the result? What's the promise of the passage? The promise is peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that guards our hearts and guards our minds, which is where Christ resides. Not worry, not anxiety, where Christ resides. A peace that mystifies the world because it makes no sense in the particular situation of the waves and the wind around us. See, the key to this is to not impose power over a situation, to not try and impose power over God, but instead to lay it at the feet of God, to lay it down at the feet of Christ. And as we do that, we are acknowledging that this is too big for me, but it's not too big for us, me and the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, who is God with us, who knows us, who loves us, who is with you and will go through it with you. Folks, if you are living in any form of conflict right now, whether that be conflict between you and another person, whether it be conflict between you and an event around you, a situation around you, if you are living in, in, in conflict within yourself, but especially if you are living in conflict between you and God, I invite you to consider, stop. Stop trying to exert power over Stop trying to exert power over people and situations and especially over God. Instead, come under the loving presence of Jesus. Surrender. It's not a popular word, but it's a powerful word. Because the difference that we may experience will be in peace. That tranquil state of a soul that is assured by the presence of Jesus and finds contentment in him. But here's the final thing I want you to be aware of when we talk about peace, is that peace actually isn't the gift. We're talking about gifts that, that Jesus brings to us this Christmas Eve, but, but peace actually isn't the gift. Rather, peace is the result of the gift. You see, the actual gift that, that Jesus brings that leads to peace is grace. And grace is revealed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
See, the Prince of Peace came to rule and to reign, but not by power, but by sacrifice. A sacrifice that we did not deserve him to make on our behalf. A sacrifice that we actually never even asked him to make on our behalf, and, but he knew we needed it before we even could ask for it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't ask for it. We certainly didn't earn it, and yet he grants it. But that's the definition of grace. See, grace is referred to as the unmerited favor of God, and unmerited means we didn't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. Favor being God's kindness, his goodwill towards those to whom he shows grace, which is what the angels were proclaiming. And it's a gift because it's given, not required, not asked for, not earned. See, when you earn something, it's considered a wage. It's considered compensation. I earned that. I deserve that. Give me what is mine. But the Bible says the only thing we've actually earned is spiritual separation from God, which it refers to as death. And when we live in conflict with God, that is what we deserve. That is what we've actually earned is, is this spiritual death, the eternal separation from the loving hand of God. And we might try by our power, we might try through our plans to bridge the gap that separates us from God, but it's never enough. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who came to stand in the gap, who is able to forgive us of our sins... So that we are no longer associated with death, but we're associated with new life in Christ, bringing us into right relationship with God. Not that we earned it, not that we deserve it, but that's why it's a gift. Because the price has been paid, it is freely offered, but like any gift that is ever offered to you, you need to choose to receive it, to choose to open it. And we do so through faith. Which is what Ephesians 2.8 tells us. It is, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves. What is it? It is the gift of God. See, when we open it, when we receive it, we are coming under it. We are coming under the forgiving power of Jesus Christ. And this is a gift of Grace. It's a gift that leads to a right relationship between us and God, which is what the angels were talking about, which is the peace that people were pursuing. It's, it's a definition we've been working with a bit this morning, that, that inner tranquility of a soul that finds peace and contentment in Christ. See, grace is the gift that leads to right relationship with God, which leads to peace. And, then, and in this season of giving, I can tell you this, folks, there is no better gift to receive today if you have never received this gift. And there is no better gift to give to others. I just want to finish with a story. A number of years back, um, when I was uh, working at a different church and uh, during the Christmas season, and it was one of those typical Christmas seasons, busy around a church, and not a lot of time for personal stuff, for home stuff, shopping and, and spending time with family. And so Nadine and I were behind on gifts and just quality time together. So we made a plan that she would come from work and meet me at the church office. And around 5.30 we would leave and go have dinner. And then we would go do some Christmas shopping and get some stuff on that. And, and then we're going to go sit in a second cup and, and drink hot chocolate with Christmas music and just like have a date. It was long overdue and much needed. And, you know, 
and all, everything was just working. Schedules were working, traffic was working, the temperature was perfect. And it was almost like this beautiful Christmas card picture. We're wearing our you know, fancy work clothes, and there's a little light snow falling, and, and yet it's still bright. A beautiful scene. So we start heading out for this night. And as we walk out the doors of the church, a lady comes storming in. And when she sees me, she goes, Pastor Mark, I need to talk to you. I just found out my husband's having an affair. And I looked at Nadine, I looked at her, and Nadine and her, because I feel in her torment, what do I do? And before I could say a word, Nadine simply said, I'll see you at home. And she went home. In that moment, in a simple way, this lady had no idea, Nadine extended grace to her. Not exerting power, my plans, our plans, we need this, you can't have him. She exerted no power, but came under the situation and peacefully left. I went with this lady and spent a long time counseling. Over the course of our counseling, that night and in the days ahead, I shared with her about God's grace, about God's love. And she chose to receive God's grace that night. And she found peace that did not make any sense in the midst of the turmoil that she was facing. And yet, there was this peace that descended upon her that assured her it's not okay, it's, it's not all better but you're not alone. You may feel abandoned. You may feel isolated. You may feel betrayed, but I've always been here with you, God was saying to her, and I will never leave you, and I will walk through this with you. She found peace in the grace of God that night. And in the days ahead, she had the very difficult, painful decision to make of whether or not she would extend grace to her husband. See, grace is something that we can receive it's also something we can choose to extend, but it's not easy. And it's my prayer for us today that through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the grace that he modeled and revealed through his vulnerability and through his sacrifice, that you yourselves may experience the tranquil state of a soul that is assured of his presence in your life. And that through that you would find contentment regardless amidst the conflict and the situations that may exist around us. And that as you experience peace and display peace in the midst of the wind and the waves that others would look at that and they would say, how do you have peace? And you could lead them where they could find peace. By coming under the power of Jesus Christ. Folks, if this is going to be the best Christmas ever, it begins with hope. But then hope gives way to peace. As no matter what conflict may exist in your life, you can find peace by grace through faith in Jesus Christ.